Father in heaven, we do ask, as Solomon did, we ask for an understanding heart to be able to take this portion of your word that was given so long ago through the Apostle Paul to our brothers and sisters in Ephesus as we are called to walk in the Spirit, to walk following Jesus. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would enable us, equip us to be able to be thankful for all things, as it says, thankful for our redemption, thankful for our sanctification, thankful for the work of the Spirit in applying the work of Christ in fulfillment of the will of the Father, thankful for that perseverance till the end that you've promised. Enable us, O oh Lord, to persevere. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what makes biblical Christianity unique? Now, biblical Christianity is referenced as a religion. And there are many religions in the world. What makes biblical, and notice how I add that, biblical Christianity unique among all of the religions of the world. Well, you could say all of those other religions are man-made. They're all made, man making an attempt to reach God. Okay? So, I mean, you could say it that way. All religions, apart from biblical Christianity, is a man-made religion attempting to reach God. What is biblical Christianity? God reaching man. God revealing himself to man. God coming down, becoming man. God saving man. So from one perspective, it's very clear. But here is also other aspects of Christianity that makes it unique, and one of them is that we are a religion of the book. We don't worship the Bible, but we are students, disciples in the school of Christ, and this is our textbook, right? Or you could say it this way, we are loved of the triune God, and this is his love letter to us. We are people of the book. But also, Christianity is the religion of the Spirit. It is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit who applies what Jesus has accomplished, is accomplishing, will accomplish in our lives. It is a religion where that separation between God and man was ripped apart and we now have the Spirit of God dwelling with us. We are the temple of God. He dwells with us and he is changing us. My, one of my favorite passages is Paul writes, he's changing us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? That as the work of the Spirit in your life, as he's taking you from one level of glory to the next, as he deals with your sin and your rebellion and the hard heart and all your uh, besetting sins and, and all, what is he doing? He's making you more like Jesus. But it's a glorious thing he's doing. He's 
changing us from glory to glory to glory to glory into the image of Christ. You ever thought of it that way? Sanctification is the work of the Spirit. Biblical Christianity is a religion of the Spirit. Also, biblical Christianity is a religion of the heart. One of the things that I'm doing as I'm reading through my Bible, and I have been doing so, is every time I see the word heart, I circle it. You'll be amazed how many times the word heart shows up in the Bible. Why? Because it's important to God. If he has your heart, he has everything. If he doesn't have your heart, he doesn't have you. In our passage today, he talks about uh, the heart, doesn't he? Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks from the heart. So it's a religion of the heart. But in one more sense, biblical Christianity has come to be known historically as the religion of song. You ever thought of it that way? Religion of the song. Christians, back during the Reformation, went to their martyrdom and their death singing the psalm, singing the Bible, singing the Word of God. So much so that their persecutors couldn't stand it, so they cut out their tongues. So they could not sing on their way to their death. Imagine that. Biblical Christianity, because of the grace of God, what is our, the best way we can say thank you? Singing his praises. Will we be doing that in eternity? I was listening to a song this week, and it reminded me of that thought, and that is, when the redeemed of the Lord open their voice in heaven and start to celebrate and sing of being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, what will the angels have to do? They will have to shut their mouths and listen, because we are the redeemed of the Lord. We can sing of that redemption through the blood of Christ. And all of heaven and all of earth will be silent before God as the redeemed of the Lord come with singing into Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. So what makes biblical Christianity unique? I just ran through about at least five reasons. Maybe you can come up with another as well. Main point, if you want to look at it there in the bulletin, kind of covered it a bit. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1, 24-30. And in wisdom, he has provided for us all things necessary for life and godliness. This includes wisdom from above and the ever-present and active Holy Spirit of God. Our salvation from sin and death is his gracious work. Who gets the glory? He does. So also our being changed from glory to glory into the image of Christ is his gracious work. How should we say thank you? By walking in reliance and submission to him. That's what Paul has been saying since he covered uh, starting in chapter 4. Walk according, walk worthy to the calling with which you were called. How do I say thank you? 
by walking, following Jesus, walking in the Spirit. So context, quick context. What are we talking about? What is this letter about? You guys could tell me already. Uh, one word, see if anybody got one word. This is a letter of, yes, thank you. Letter of grace. Three chapters, half the letter. What is, Jesus, what is Paul talking about? Seated in Christ in heavenly places. Is that grace? Are you seated in heaven because of what you've done? What you will do? What you are doing now? No. Seated in Christ in heavenly places. And he says so when he says that in chapter 2. What does he say just before that? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Is that being born again? Made us alive. Is that another way of saying being born again? Did you do that? Did you make yourself alive while you were dead? Going back to that other statement, isn't it? He said it that way. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he may show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his work of art, his poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk. Amen. Okay, so now he's talking about walking. Created in Christ Jesus, we are his work of art, and now he's calling us to walk. Walk in the Spirit. So we are seated, our position, our identity is in Christ. And now we are walking with Jesus, our good shepherd. So let us continue on looking at um, what Paul says, ways that we can uh, say thank you and ways to walk. Again, verse 15 of our text, see then that you walk circumspectly or accurately, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We looked at that last week. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so my first point there in the bulletin, not as fools, but as wise sons and daughters of the king. What does God say about the wisdom of this world? Again, wisdom. What is wisdom? Skill for living. The world, does the world have a skill in living? And the answer is yes. Can they, do they conduct themselves? Do they know how to to uh, conduct themselves through life? Are they able to live and move and do things, have their being? And the answer is yes. But what does God say? When God looks at the wisdom of the world, what does he say of it? What's his evaluation? One word. Foolishness. Folly. Foolishness. The wisdom of the world, of this world, is foolishness. One place you can read that is in 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 
For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Before since, in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So he says, the world did not know God. What does Proverbs say the beginning of wisdom? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord, the awe of the Lord, the respect of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The world does not have a proper awe or respect or fear of the Lord. So though it claims to have wisdom, God says that it's foolishness. Godly wisdom is to recognize and acknowledge God. I'll say it again. Godly wisdom is to recognize and acknowledge God for who he is and what he does, as well as responding appropriately. Okay, there's that application. So do you have godly wisdom? Are you a, do you have the foolishness or the wisdom of this world or godly wisdom? What's the difference? Do you recognize and acknowledge God for who he is and what he does? We just confessed him, didn't we, in the Apostles' Creed? Believe in God the Father Almighty, creator what? Of heaven and earth and everything. And one Lord, Jesus Christ. Who's the Lord? Jesus Christ. Not me, not you. Recognizing and acknowledging God for who he is and, and what he does, and to respond appropriately. How do we do that? Walking in the fear of the Lord. Conducting your life with a proper respect of who God is. Simple stuff, right? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's easier said than done, right? How often we slip into not fearing the Lord, not trusting the Lord, trusting in ourselves, looking at ourselves, making another God. Godly wisdom is um, wisdom from God. It is focusing on who he is, his power, his presence, and his purpose. Orienting your mind around that. That's your starting point. You can, be, you can focus on whatever afterwards, but getting it right. Isn't that why we come to church? One of the reasons we come to church is to get our minds reoriented. God's power, God's authority, he's the, he's the Lord, I'm not. God's presence, isn't that why we are here also? Two or more gather my name, Where are, where's Jesus? We're in his presence? Does he come down or we go up? We go up. We're in the presence of the trying God right now in his throne presence. Do we remind ourselves, do you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Is that part of your, sometime during the week, sometime during the day, do you pray that? You're, you're the boss, I'm not, your kingdom come, your will be done. You pray that prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So how do you become wise? If this is true, godly wisdom is recognizing and acknowledging God for who he is and what he does. How do you become wise? 
The answer is through the gospel. Paul writes that God would make us wise for salvation, and he's telling that to his son Timothy. He says that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. How do you become wise? By grace, through faith, and that not of yourself is a gift of God. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the gospel. Leaving foolishness, again, through grace, the application of God, Christ's work, but also the application of God's word. We call this the preaching of the word what? The means of grace. Through the word of God. God, through his grace, teaches us how to be wise. He orients our mind properly in the fear of the Lord, proper respect and awe. But how do you become wise? You take this and you study it. This is the wisdom of God. This is our instruction manual. This is our textbook in the school of Christ. You study the word of God to know and to do. Wisdom is, prop, is responding properly to the reality as God sees it. I like that definition. Again, I'll read it. Wisdom is responding properly to the reality as God sees it. Becoming aware of things as God sees it and then responding appropriately. That's what Paul is saying in our text this morning. See then that you walk accurately, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How do you know what the will of the Lord is? Through the Word of God, through the work of the Spirit, directing us through the Word. So what should we do? What did Solomon do? When he was called on to do what God had called him to do to be the king, What did he do? He sought the Lord. When God said, what do you want? What do you need? What did he say? Give me an understanding heart that I may be able to do what you called me to do. Ask for that. Pray for that. God, give me an understanding heart. It's my prayer for you that you pray that prayer. Not once, but every day. Right? We need to have that understanding heart. So we're called to walk. Point two, walk under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Where did I get that? Verse 18. Do not be drunk. That's a bad translation. The word is used twice. I'll translate the way it should be translated. Do not be under the controlling influence of wine, which is, in which is dissipation, but be under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is saying here. Do not be under the controlling influence, controlling influence of wine, which results in dissipation. In other words, lack of self-control. What happens when someone is drunk? What does it do? It causes the lowering of, what is the word? Inhibition, lowering of self-control. You do stupid things. Proverbs talks about that when talking about the excess of wine. He 
you start seeing things, you start being not under the controlling influence of wine. Could you say the controlling influence of the internet? Could you say the controlling influence of money, fame, on and on? You could, you could fill in more things there. He says, don't be under that controlling influence of wine, where is excess, but be under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting about that, so it's a word filled. There's a difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to get into the whole baptism of the Holy Spirit issue. But notice here in verse, uh, verse 18, is this, uh, notice what kind of verb this is. Do not be under controlling influence of wine. Do not be filled. Is that a command? Is that a command? Does that mean it's something you can do? A command is something, don't do this, but do this. Is he telling you to do something? Is it a command? Yes. Be filled with the Spirit. Is that something you do? Be not filled with wine. Is that something you do? So he's not talking about something that the Spirit does like regeneration. He's talking about us submitting to the Holy Spirit. Understand? It's something we do. We are called to do. Be filled. Submit to the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. That's what Paul is saying. In other words, not my will, but thy will be done. Yes, provide for me the things I need, my daily bread and relationship restored and uh, protection against the enemy and temptation and all. All of those is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, don't be unwise, but wise. Submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? Or what is it, my third point, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit? If so, then the Spirit's fruit or the results of the Spirit's work will become evident in your life. What is one of the ways to do so? Notice what it leads into. He leads into in verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So what is the proper response to wisdom? What is the proper response to submission to the Holy Spirit? What does Paul say? It leads to worship, singing from the heart, speaking about God to one another, singing about God to one another. In other words, the emotions are involved, isn't it? It's informed emotions. Joy is informed, rejoicing, speaking to one another, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. One author refers to that as wordless rhythm of the affections. Wordless, but it's actually words. But it can be wordless. Can you express your affection, your love for Jesus without using words? Yes, by doing as well. Yes, words are there. Singing, making melody, making music. It can be playing with a stringed instrument. 
for those of you that have that gift. Not most of us either don't have it or don't know they have it. How about singing? You got a voice? What do we do? One of the things, again, what did we say is the uniqueness of Christianity is it's a singing religion. It's a religion that sings. Why? Because of the grace of God. We respond to God's grace by saying thank you. One of the ways we do so is by singing. We express our thankfulness. Making melody. To sing, to chant, to sing in concert with such, with an instrument, and so on. Different ways that word is used in the Greek. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. One of the challenges that I, I'm, I'm challenging myself again through this sermon prep is, is that I need to sing more in my daily devotions. I haven't done, I used to, much more. And I've realized that I need to sing more. Why? Because Paul says to do so. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. I say thank you. I use verbal, but I'm not singing as much as I used to. Pray for me. Pray for yourself. That, that would become more a habit. One author writes, Believers who have already been reminded of their sealing by the Spirit, chapter 4, verse 30, and enjoined not to grieve the Spirit, again, 4, verse 30, are now exhorted to allow the Spirit to have the fullest control that they are conscious of in their lives and to open themselves continually to the one who can enable them to walk wisely and to understand Christ's will and who can inspire their worship and thanksgiving. That's a great statement to open themselves continually to the one, to the Holy Spirit, who can enable them to walk wisely, to understand Christ's will, and who can inspire their worship in thanksgiving. It leads to worship from the heart. What's the content of this singing? What is Paul is saying there? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. God's word incorporated in the heart. Unless you have this with you, unless you have that, what do you, where do you go? What do you do? How do you sing? When I first came to Christ, when the Lord took hold of me, I was driving home, and I wanted to sing praise to God. I wanted to thank him, and I didn't know any Christian songs. It was so frustrating. And so I had to go back to my Roman Catholic folk mass and started singing Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya, and Michael Rowe, his boat ashore. Not quite what I was looking for, right? But I didn't know any hymns. I didn't know any Christian songs. But I wanted to sing, and I didn't know. Well, guess what? I learned a lot of Christian songs because I saw that need. How about you? Are these hymns, are these songs, are they in your heart? Could you sing them if you were put on the spot? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound is. That one we got, right? But are you singing them? Are you memorizing? One of the easiest ways to memorize something is how? Is to put it to music. I remember one person, one young person learning the catechism. In order to memorize the catechism, what did that person do? 
put it to music. Made it a lot easier. You want to memorize scripture? Put it to music. It's a lot easier. So what is the content of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? God's word God's becomes our heart's song. Becomes the heart string that the Holy Spirit plays. Touches our heart when we sing. I'm reminded... The reason why I changed the hymn that we sang this morning, and I'm coming to a close, so those of you that are hanging there, we're almost there. But as I was meditating on this song that we just sang, 209, to me that sounds like the heart of Ambrose of Milan as he's singing about God's glory, bright, light eternal bringing light, O light of light, light's living spring, True day, all days illumining, come very sun of heaven, love, in lasting radiance from above, and pour the Holy Spirit's ray on all we think or do today. Is that a man that was meditating on the grace of God, on the work of the Spirit? Is he singing it back to the Lord? Verse 20, and we'll close giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've been diagnosed with cancer. Okay, Stage four, cancer. How do you do that? Giving thanks always for all things to God. Thank you, Lord, for my cancer. Thank you, Lord. How does that, how do you do that? How do you say thank you, God? When everything goes down the tubes, when everything crashes and burns, when everything is discouraging, well, again, from the heart, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A thankful heart expresses reality in God. In other words, it, we stop and we say, as uh, Piper wrote an article, um, the idea of using your cancer, he says, for the glory of God. That God has gave him cancer, and it caused him to stop and think about the sovereignty of God. God's in control. God's working this cancer for my good and God, his glory. It's that proper wise orientation. All things are working together according to his purposes for his glory and our good. Do we have that mind, the mind of Christ? Worst case scenario, when Jesus was being beaten, when he was praying in the garden beforehand, pretty bad situation, right? He knows what's coming. He, he knows exactly what he's going, going to go through. And yet he says, nevertheless, thy will. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And so we are called, brothers and sisters, our reasonable worship, our logical worship, our reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, be renewed by the spirit of your mind. Amen.